Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of Brown Girls Read podcast. This is your host Aman Tiwana and this is Kathy Thakur and both of us love reading books. On this podcast we bring our favorite books to you and discuss the parts that were most meaningful to us and how we found them interesting or relatable as brown girls. Today we are discussing The Courage to be Disliked by Ichiro Kishimi and Fumitake Koga, the Japanese phenomena that shows you how to change your life and achieve real happiness. This book is a dialogue between a philosopher and a youth where they are describing how to live your life according to Adler's psychology. Adler was a psychologist whose research was on a different tangent than what Freud said. Through Adler's psychology, the authors explain how we are all free to determine our own future, free of the shackles of past experiences, doubts, and expectations of others. So, this is the second time that I have read this book. When I was reading it the first time, it was like four years ago, and the things that I got out of it were very different from what I focused on now. I guess what you get out of books every time you read them is a reflection of the time you are at in your life. Having said that I'm excited to discuss it with you and see where the discussion takes us. So, let's get into the discussion. We all know that Freud believed in cause and effect. He said that our past defines who we become in our present. And that seems plausible, right? For example, if I get anxious when someone yells in front of me, it's because my parents yelled in front of me. That's the automatic response that my mind generates to yelling. But in this book it's argued that in that case the same cause should have the same effect on everyone like if someone else's parents yelled in front of them they should also get the same yelling anxiety but that's not true not everyone behaves the exact same way and in contrast to what freud believed adler psychology says that we are manifesting our present according to our goals and he also denies trauma completely like what the hell it's so controversial especially in today's instagram world you know like finally trauma is being accepted like healing is being accepted now so it's sort of like an amazing viewpoint where adler says that we make up for our traumas whatever suits our purpose but i also think that it's oversimplified a little bit i think not a little bit a lot the whole part about trauma does not exist just sounds so problematic to me I can kind of understand the motivation behind it that maybe he's trying to give this message that we should not get tied down to the cause and effect and at some point we need to find a purpose or meaning and go beyond whatever happened to us but even then we cannot totally undermine the effects of trauma because they are real they are very very real and we see them all around us they repeat in our own lives in form of certain patterns which have formed because of things that have happened and we learn to behave a certain way because of things so there is there is a cause and effect for sure and yes as we grow we can unlearn it we can try to change our ways if it's not serving us if it's unhealthy that's where i definitely agree with this philosophy that yeah people can change we can break the cycles and we can get out of that set pattern that we created in our survival mode in our childhood but when it comes to trauma i don't think i can agree with that Let's take an example of real trauma. Like we know so many people suffer sexual assault in their lives. They are not choosing to stay in the trauma. I don't think anybody chooses that. So even the assumption that there is a choice in this that someone is choosing to stay in this state is just so wrong to me. And yes, people work on their healing and we see that people do come out of their traumas, they are survivors, but 
I don't think the effects truly leave them, at least not for a long time. And it takes a great deal of work for that to happen. Similarly, we see people who are survivors of abuse, of violence, of war, who suffer PTSD and lifelong effects. Knowing all this and then reading this philosophy, I kept thinking, like, did this person come from like a privileged place or something? Because clearly there is so much missing in this oversimplification. Yeah, I agree. I think there must be some first world issues he might have. And then one day he woke <laughs> up and wrote this theory. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so. But, you know, I do like that it could be a motivating factor for someone going through a sad period in their lives. Like, of course, not clinical depression or trauma, but if they're going through a demotivated phase, I guess, like, you know, where they're not as happy as they were before. For people like that, it could be motivating to think that my life is in my hands. I make my own own choices and I choose to be unaffected by my circumstances and I choose to be happy. Yeah, I agree with that. It's something I believe is also similar to logotherapy that we had discussed when we were reading Ikigai. That if a person has a will to live or a meaning in their life as a driving force, then they can come out of dark periods. But it's important that we acknowledge those periods still instead of dismissing them. Definitely. A lot of what is said in the book wasn't completely new to me, probably because I've read a few books of this genre already. But there were still several nuggets of wisdom in this book, which were presented in form of a dialogue that I really liked. One of those was the part about us fabricating our anger. It's something I completely agree with. I honestly believe that people don't get angry the same way with different people in different situations. It tells you that definitely our brains are constantly working. It's not as impulsive as we make it out to be. Like if you're really pissed at your work, you still don't have the balls to blow your top or create a scene because you are very aware of the consequences. But the same kind of situation happens at your home. You you feel free to do that. You feel free to lash out. You feel free to say things because you kind of know that these people are not going anywhere. They are going to stay around and you kind of take them for granted. I just feel like anger is used as a justification for bad behavior a lot of the time. And actually, it's not the reason for bad behavior, but just a justification, I feel. Yeah. That makes me also think about this proverb in Hindi, Dhar ki murgi dal barabar. <laughs> you can... <laughs> yep, yeah. You really well. But yeah, you're right. I think a lot of our impulsive emotions come from a place of habit as well. So in this book, The Power of Habit by Charles Duick, he touches on the same subject of anger. And he says that people who get angry all the time, their brains have actually formed a habit of getting angry at small things. The impulsive side of their brain takes over the rational side. There is actually no excuse for that. And it can certainly be changed. Yeah, definitely. So talking about the things we like, I also really like the explanation that you are the one standing in the way of your own happiness. More often than not, we want to be like someone else. And I'm sure this feeling has definitely increased in people since the advent of social media like Facebook or Instagram. But even if we want to be like that person, I feel like we don't try. Maybe there's the fear of rejection. We just keep making excuses like how will we do it? We don't have time. We are so busy, etc, etc. So I wanted to ask you, what's that one thing for you that you want to try, but you have been making excuses for it? I guess I can say public speaking was one of those and maybe still is in many ways. Like 
I believe that the neural pathways in my brain are so strong in believing that I'm not a people person. I can't really talk that it takes a lot of mental effort for me to counter that. And even then, it's not completely successful. Half of the time, I feel like an imposter, but I'm just going with the fake it till you make it mantra for now, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's a good approach. But you know, honestly, public speaking is one thing that I so badly want to be good at. But how little time I spend on honing that skill is so alarming. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like I'm waiting for the universe to grant me the superpower to become like Simon Sinek or whatever. I know it doesn't work that way, but I'm still waiting. Someday I'll get that superpower and I'll be an amazing public speaker. Oh man, I feel like I can't even count the number of things I'm just waiting to be granted superpowers for. <laughs> yeah, we, honestly... should talk, we should talk about it sometime. <laughs> The reason, basically, like you said, they're all excuses because you don't want to put in the work. It's it's a lot of work and you possibly cannot do all of it, maybe. You know that somewhere in your heart. So you are like, somebody give me this power when I wake up tomorrow. I should have the ability to do all of this. Yeah, that's so true. And I also feel like that with growing up, I am also becoming more and more cautious in my approach towards starting new things whether it's like fun or business or anything. And I feel like that also takes away the joys and rewards that come with risk-taking. And now, after reading the book, as we are talking, I'm starting to think that that caution is another way in which I'm making excuses for not doing new things or risky things. Definitely. That's such a good observation, you know. Like, I think, of course, as we grow up, we become more cautious anyway. So, you know, we start thinking about what will people think about us? What would this person comment and stuff like that, which we should consequences, right? Like, oh, what if my business fails? I will have lost all this money. And like, yeah, those are real concerns, but like they also hold you back. So you have to kind of tread that line in a way. Right. It's also connected to, you know, this other concept that is mentioned in the book, which is feeling of inferiority, you know, like how feeling of inferiority gets fostered in you. And when it could be harmful for you versus when you can use it to your advantage. And again, I keep saying it, but it's so true in today's world, especially because of social media and all the happy photos that you see of everyone. All right. I want to interject. Kathy, are you leaving social media right now? <laughs> no. You so much. Yeah, I hate it so much, but I'm like a puppet, you know, like <laughs> I have to be on social media. <laughs> But, you know, like, I mean, there are so many things that social media makes us do that we don't want to do. For example, comparisons. Like every time you you open social media, you see someone who's doing better than you in so many other things. And you're like, I wish I had that profession. I wish I had that skin. I wish I had that figure or hair, etc, etc. This book touches on that really well, you know. The author says that feeling of inferiority is good to have because it helps you take one step forward towards your goals. But when it becomes an inferiority complex, where you start thinking so negatively about your situation that you don't even try, that's when it becomes dangerous. So that's why they said that inferiority complex is just an excuse to not do things. And I feel like I completely agree with it because I had a very personal experience just recently, actually only last week. So I'm trying to develop some educational video games that children can play in schools that would help them enhance their, you know, decision making and problem solving skills. And the model that I had in mind for this business was similar to 
something that Elon Musk is doing for a school that he has created. And I researched that and I got to know that. And after that, oh my God, like all hell broke loose. I was so unmotivated. Like, I was like, I don't think I can do this. I am not even an Ivy League graduate, etc., etc. You know, all of those things just started popping in my head. And I was like completely sad for three days. Until, oh you know, <laughs> I know, right? Like, I mean, why did Elon Musk have to get into this? He's going to Mars, dude. Just go to Mars. <laughs> I know, right? Like, let's just talk about that guy for a second. Just stop taking over everything. <laughs> I know. <laughs> And like doing it so well, like just stop. So yeah, exactly. Like I just want to get this message out there. Like don't worry if someone else is somewhere where you want to be. Just take the first step and stop making excuses. I mean, I'm also trying to do it for myself. But you know, it feels good to send that advice out in the universe. Yeah, just write it somewhere for yourself too. So you don't have another breakdown for three days. <laughs> It's all Elon Musk's fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let's target his social media. <laughs> but you know what you said about comparison is actually so true. Like, I feel like there's so much information around us right now with like internet in general. And we are constantly caught up in that cycle of comparison, even unknowingly. I like to think that I have made myself a little detached from comparison cycle over the last years with practice, of course. But even then, it creeps up on me. It's like you can't let your guard down for even a moment. I know. And again, coming back to social media, this is all because of that, you know. Have you been on Clubhouse recently? No, I haven't actually. I have the app, but I haven't been on there. Okay, so because I started going into Clubhouse to see, and I really like the concept, you know, just have audio conversations with people around you. And there's so much knowledge being you know, floated around and things, and people are doing really great stuff. But... I feel like the whole clubhouse experience is centered around making people feel inferior because everyone on there is an expert. Like everyone's doing multiple businesses, 19 year old kids are investing and stuff. And it's amazing to see that. But you know, I feel like I've been a loser my whole life. Oh my God, Kathy, snap out of the inferiority complex. <laughs> Stay in the feeling of inferiority and keep improving. <laughs> yeah, I try very hard. But as you know, it's a roller coaster of emotions between inferiority, superiority and different complexes. <laughs> Speaking of inferiority, I actually also loved his flip side analysis of it, which is the superiority complex. It's something that we all have probably seen in people around us in certain instances. The understanding that this superiority is actually rooted in the feeling of inferiority is so insightful for me. And when you start thinking about it, it explains so much of these problematic behaviors we see sometimes and also allows us to feel empathy for the ones who are doing this. Yeah, definitely. I also found this concept of feelings of superiority very interesting. Like, you know, in the book, when he said that, when he says that sometimes people who brag about their misfortunes also have a feeling of superiority. You know, if someone is talking about their misfortune and the other person advises them to do something about their current situation, some people would just dismiss the advice completely. But I feel like it's also controversial a little bit. We talked earlier, not everything is that simple. Like sometimes you just want to vent. But a lot of things in the book were so idealistic. And I actually felt what the youth character in the book was feeling like. Is there any room for regular human emotions in this psychology or philosophy? Again, you know, this book is such a roller coaster of emotions. Like at one point, he's making so much sense. And then the next line, he says something else. And you're like, what bullshit is this? 
you know, for this context, like especially for the feelings of superiority, the way he has described it, I have friends who do talk about their misfortunes all the time. And when I try to advise them, they dismiss it. And it really annoys me so much, but I don't think they're bragging about their misfortunes. Here, I feel like the author is again simplifying things. What about the people who have actually had great tragedies fall upon them? It's totally okay to wallow in pain for a while or sometimes for their entire life. Healing takes time. It's not always an excuse. You know, I feel like praising your message because it's really beautiful. But the book says we should not praise. <laughs> so instead, I'll just say thank you for saying this. <laughs> Damn you, Adler. <laughs> so there's a chapter in the book about learning to separate tasks. In this chapter, the philosopher makes a point about children and their parents when it comes to studying. He argues that studying is the child's task, but the parents get too involved and make it about themselves. And the parents' reasoning could be maintaining a certain image in the eyes of society or a dream that they have projected on the children. And I could see so much sense in what he was saying in here. I'm sure you probably have also experienced this, like Indian parents do this, right? They kind of push you so much because they either want to brag about it or they don't want to have a loser kid who fails or, you know, even a mediocre kid. I really like what he shared in this chapter that parents should be there to just help, to support, but they have to let the child know that it's their task. It may sound tricky, but it also is probably really simple. Like parents don't have to make it about themselves. They just have to be there to guide the child. We can see how it could be hard for people to do because people do end up transferring their own personal dreams on to the next generation. So when I was reading all this in this chapter, I kept thinking about you and all the work that you're doing in EdTech. And I was like, Kathy might have encountered a lot of parents and children from different categories. So I want to know your thoughts. Yeah, I really like that point of view as well. And it's such an important message. I have worked with kids from both kinds of upbringing and I have to say the first kind where parents let their kids explore and don't handhold their kids too much. Those kids are definitely more independent, they have better communication skills and they are way more confident than the ones whose parents handhold them a lot. I also have realized something amazing. Contrary to the popular belief that parents have about their children that some concepts are too complex for their child to understand or grasp. I have realized it's actually not true. Children crave complexity. They want to get into unknown worlds and try to solve complex things until, you know, you get into the habit of hand-holding them and then you just take all the fun out of it. Today only I have started thinking about starting my own YouTube channel on this topic of learning and education because I have so many observations on this topic. But let's see, I hope I don't get inferiority complex and I can finally do it. You can do it. I'll be your cheerleader. <laughs> Thank you. I need that. I think the last thing we should discuss is the title of the book, The Courage to be Disliked. And I love how Adler says that the courage to be happy starts with the courage to be disliked. I feel like to be disliked by someone and to make peace with it is the best thing people can do with their lives. And this extends to everyone, right? Including parents as well, because we were talking about parents earlier. Sometimes, like, if their children are not the way the parents want them to be, parents disown them. And being disliked by parents hurts, 
but you know at some point you just have to accept that it is on them to accept or not accept things from us and to like or dislike us yeah i completely agree i liked how he described this in separation of tasks like it's my task to love you but if you cannot love me back that's on you and not on me it's kind of freeing yeah. right yeah i really like it and the reason why i wanted to read this book was because i know that i kind of lack that courage to be disliked and i felt like i needed someone to give me the how to of it and although the book didn't give me that i think it still strongly instilled the importance of the subtle art of not giving a fuck in a more gentle way <laughs> that's so true <laughs> and now before we end this episode i want to know what you are reading right now khyati i am still reading the great mental models the reason i haven't finished it yet is because i love it so i'm deliberately postponing it that's <laughs> counterintuitive to me <laughs> i know <laughs> but i also picked a new book braving the wilderness by prene brown and you know it's like food for my soul honestly what about you what are you reading right now i'm not reading anything i'm listening to a dance of dragons which is the fifth book of the song of ice and fire series the game of thrones books and i am thinking of actually taking a few days off of reading before i pick the brene brown book yeah it's an amazing read and i'm definitely looking forward to discussing it on our podcast as well well that's all for today for our next episode we are going to discuss braving the wilderness by brene brown we hope you'll be reading with us and until then keep listening thank you for listening to this episode of brown girls read podcast if you like what you hear please leave us a five star rating and a comment you can support us at anchor.fm/browngirlsread/support your support will allow us to continue this podcast and bring more episodes to you don't forget to subscribe and follow us on instagram browngirlsreadpod and browngirlsread1 on twitter If you have book recommendations for us you can leave us a comment or message on our social media and you can also subscribe to us on YouTube for more content